Tonight we'll be wrapping up the series on the Ten Commandments. I know we're only on the eighth, but we're doing the eighth, ninth, and tenth Ten Commandments, the tenth of the commandments. And I know you're probably thinking, well, man, it took forever to get through the first, <laughs> but the, the, we will get through it and we won't short cut or anything. There's just a lot in here, but I wanted to stay in a vein that I believe that we could sum these last three commandments up, and it's the word integrity. I want to do a final recap here. The first four commandments focus on our relational interaction with God. The fifth commandment protects the family by teaching honor. The sixth commandment protects life. The seventh commandment protects marriage. The eighth commandment, as we will see, speaks about integrity, the protection of property, time, stewardship, on dealing honestly, and not stealing, of course. The ninth commandment is about being truthful, and the tenth commandment is about being content. And I think the tenth commandment will speak the most to us out of, out of these. Now, I wanted to put all of these three together because of the simple fact of integrity. Integrity is who you are when no one is looking. So let's start with the Eighth Commandment. This is only going to be three points spanning an amount of time that we're together. A person of integrity will not steal, and they will deal rightly with God and our neighbor. Let's look at the commandment. You shall not steal, Exodus 20, verse 15. Now, this commandment speaks for itself on so many levels. This is the context of theft, robbery, cheating, swindling, and it actually forbids greed. Now, it's literally taking something that doesn't belong to you. It's to cheat someone or something. It can be taking land or property, the stealing of wealth. With that being said, for example, this is why the system of communism and ideology is bad. In fact, Karl Marx said the theory of communists may be summed up in a single sentence, the abolition of private property. So that tells me the theory of, the, of communism is the picture of the violation of this commandment, which makes it evil. But this commandment assumes that there is something to steal, right? This commandment is meant to protect property, possessions. It can also relate to our work activity. <laughs> Come on, somebody. We're going to get home with, the, with this. And stealing from our employers in regard of time or things. This speaks of breaking and entering and shoplifting. From stealing of people such as human trafficking. Kidnapping. From kidnapping all the way down to stealing a pencil from work. Slavery is considered theft. Exodus 21.16, whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. Now, slavery in the Bible is different than what existed in our dark history. Slaves in the Bible actually got treated well. You slept in the master's house and you, and you were taken care of if you had a good master. Remember, the Jewish people were in bondage, and they were slaves, br brutal slaves, to the Egyptians. Spiritually today, God wants us free from the vices of Satan and the flesh, 
And it easily can enslave us and ensnare, ensnare us. Satan, the Bible says, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Let's look at swindling. One of my favorite movies from, you know, back in the day was The Karate Kid, the old one. <laughs> yeah. Still watch it quite a bit, actually. Just love the Peter Cetera song. and It's on my playlist. Think about Shannon to it. Uh, no, I don't. I really don't. I just play it, man. I like the 80s. I think about Shannon to other songs that are even more beautiful than that song. <laughs> but I remember in The Karate Kid, the guy chosen, he was the bad guy, cue the bad guy, and he would come in and he'd always show up with Daniel and Mr. Miyagi and call Mr. Miyagi a coward and all this. And one day, this really popped into my head when I was thinking about this, and I was going to show the clip, but it's like three minutes long. Doug could have easily put it up, but I didn't think, you know, it'd take time away. Then I'm not sure if there's any, you know, some of you might be offended because it's Karate Kid or martial arts or something. We just don't need any of that. But, uh, but what happened is Daniel's walking up and the guy chosen, the, the Chinese man or the, uh, Okinawan is there and he is taking the, the people's food like carrots and things like that. And they're putting, and putting it on a scale and Daniel comes up and he helps somebody and he puts up a, a bushel of carrots, I believe, and it tips the scale over and the, the, the weight falls and it becomes, it, it gets white on where the, uh, the weight is and you could tell that it's fake. And that is a picture really of what they even did back in those biblical days. They would take false measurements and false weights and, and swindle people. And it's as easy as, as this picture. I think Doug has this picture I want to show you. I thought this was kind of cute. No? He, yes, he does. Of course he does. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. There it is. I don't see it on the back. I'm sorry. This is from Norman Rockwell. I thought it was cute because look at him. He's tipping the scale and she's tipping the scale this way. Yeah. I thought that was a cute picture. I wouldn't put that in my office or anything because it might send out a stealing spirit or something. But see, this is an example of swindling. Now also, charging excessive interest when a disaster happens. People hike the prices way up, right? You've seen that before, especially when hurricanes come. It's the picture of the ultimate act of selfishness. We are not to steal from each other on the job. As employees, we're to give an honest day's work for an honest day's wage at, at his, as its coin. Ephesians 4.28 says, if you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good work and then give generously to others in need. As well as employers should not overwork employees and pay them fairly. Look what it says in James 5.4. 5, for listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The wages you held back carry cry out against you. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. Now back then, landowners would need people to work the land and they would have people, they were called day laborers, and they would just sit by the gate and wait to be hired. And these landowners knew that they were unskilled, unschooled 
workers and they were able to be taken advantage of. So they would come in and would say, hey, I need you to do this. Then they would go behind them and nitpick and say, oh, you didn't do what I asked you to do. You're not getting paid. And there was nothing that they could do about it because the day laborers were not considered anybody. And if a day laborer came up to someone in charge, they would just say, get away. So it was it was easy to, to take advantage of people. And that still happens today. The depth of the of the human heart, the question is even asked, would man steal from God? And the scripture says, yes. Malachi 3, 8 through 11. Will a man rob God, yet you are robbing me? But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in the house. And thereby, thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear. So you see, this is the principle. God gives us the power to give wealth. And when we acknowledge that through giving, we're saying, God, you are Lord of the ability, you are Lord of, of the abilities that you've given me. God says, I, I, I'm going to use 10%. You live off of the 90%. And if not, God considers it stealing from him. In Leviticus 27.30, it says the tithe, the tenth, is the Lord's. And it's holy unto the Lord. Now, really, the way that it helps us to understand this, it, is, it, it wasn't ours to begin with. It's the Lord's. That's what the Bible says. It's like that little room that you couldn't go in at your mama's house. It was holy unto mama, right? The, the, the cabinet, you can't go into the cabinet and eat a hot dog off the china plate. <laughs> but two things happen when we tithe. And I actually got this from Brother Francis's book, which is terrific on this. We participate in the kingdom's economy. In other words, we open up God's ability to deal and act within our finances. And then number two, the church is able to provide all the services and the facilities that are needed. Don't you just love air conditioning? Don't you just love the fact that you can come to church and we keep the amenities and you can call us and we're, we're there? These are the different areas that we're able to provide services because of your faithful given, which we really appreciate and thank you for. Now, I'm aware that the devil has polluted this area and gives it a bad rep. But the abuse of it does not negate the obedience and the blessing of truth. God will deal with those in his time. God sees the checkbook, right? Look at the story of Ananias and Sapphira. These two people were made a land deal and kept some of the money behind. And they had to be carried out because they lied about it. Now, obviously, we see modern-day televangelists that are modern-day Ananias and Sapphira. Let's just call it what it is. They promise you wealth. They promise you all these things. And it gives people a bad, a bad name, a bad rep. People look at Christianity and say all they do is they want your money. And that's not true with the body of Christ. And I'm not talking about the snake oil salesmen and the charlatans that are out there, which I, I'm not, I wouldn't even name names, but I'm sure that there is the wrong side of that. But don't get shortchanged 
with God and what God wants to do in your, in your life because God is keeping track of all the abuse that happens in that area and they will no way go unpunished. Let's move on from that. <laughs> the remedy is being a good steward with what God gives us. Cheating the government is wrong as well. Cheating on taxes, insurance fraud is another way of theft. Jesus was asked the question. Someone pointed to some coins that had Caesar's face on it and said, should we pay taxes? And he says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. It's just really that simple. Greed is a cancer and it's rooted in selfishness. And it proves our feeling of distrust with God. But greed, giving is proof that greed does not have us. The Bible tells us not to lay up for ourselves treasures on this earth, but treasures in heaven. Listen, there is coming a day when all that we will have is what we gave to God with finances, time, uh, getting the gospel out. All of those things, I can promise you, God has a perfect accounting system and he is keeping track of every every act of goodwill, every financial aspect that you give from a dollar to hundreds of dollars to time to serve day to serving in here. God is keeping track of all of that and it will translate one day into the greatest blessings that your eyes will ever see. Just continue to trust God in what you're doing. It doesn't matter if people notice. God notices, God sees it, he sees the heart, he sees the will, and God will bless you 100% abundantly, more than we can think or ask, and he'll bless you here and there, amen? It's great to have nice things, but we can't have those nice things have us, amen? We need to try to conduct all of our business on the up and up, whether it's with people or God. That's why I said integrity is needed in this area because when we operate in integrity we do what is right when no one is looking and that's where God gets to writing amen number two a person of integrity will be truthful the ninth commandment says exodus twenty sixteen: you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor all right <laughs> listen no one has these things perfect but we got to talk about it amen now, how important is truth? To fully understand and appreciate the ninth commandment with its prohibition of lying, we must realize how important truth is. The Bible says that God is truth in Proverbs 30, verse 5. Every word of God proves true. Daniel says that the scripture of, is the scripture of truth. Jesus Christ echoed it in the New Testament, and he said, your word is truth in John 17. Moses said that God is not a man that he should lie. God is unable to lie. There are things that God cannot do, and lying is one of them. He cannot lie. It goes against who he is. He also said that God is the God of truth. Psalms said that his truth lasts through all generations. And the psalmist says that the word of the Lord is right, and all of his works are done in truth. But God also requires his servants to act and speak truthfully. Psalms 15, 1 through 3 says, Who may worship in your sanctuary? Who may enter the presence on your holy hill? 
those who lead blameless lives and do what is right. What that means is those who walk in, walk in sanctification. Those that walk in the, in the preciousness of the blood of Christ that was shed for us and it affects our behavior and our dealings. That's what it means. Those who refuse to gossip or harm their neighbor or speak evil of their friends. Now, most people sum this up with don't lie. But really to understand this, we also need to understand the aspect of the court of law in the Old Testament. Remember when we talked about capital punishment a couple of weeks ago, it, we said that two witnesses, two or three, had to be present and be an eyewitness for that execution to take place. Literally bearing false witness was a life and death issue. There's also, we also need to remember that being truthful is also a way out of the court system. This is also the way we must deal. Remember, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and I want to read this verse to you in Matthew 15, 19. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality. And then look at this part. It says, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. So if you think about it, false testimony, we are to give, we're not to give a false testimony to something that we do not know, something we have not seen, or what we have heard on our own. Brother Francis used to say, if, if you're not an eyewitness, you're a false witness. That's very profound. Gossip is passing on rumors or even passing on truth that is not to be shared or repeated. Just ask yourself a question. Would this person want me to share this? What good will this information do this person or the person hearing it? Like a lady used to say on TV, now I ain't want to gossip, so you ain't heard this from me. And then she would gossip. <laughs> I could have played that as well, but I want to keep it serious. Half-truths or exaggerations are also lies. I'm talking even the fish deal, which I don't catch any fish. So <laughs> I'm being truthful on that. Uh, but slander is deliberately passing on something that is false about someone. It's character assassination. Think about this. We go through life trying to make the right decisions on our own, trying to stay out of the ditch by the choices that we make. And how selfish is it to go and try to make it harder for someone else who's trying to do the same thing. We can literally kill someone's reputation. Would you and I want this done to us? Think about this. Would I like my wife, my son, my daughter, my parent, my nanny's name dragged through the mud? I think these are the types of filters we need to keep in our mind when we funnel these things through before we act with other people, right? I know of a pastor who lost his father and he told the story when he was with his dad on his deathbed and his dad could barely talk. And he, he basically said, I just want to tell you that I'm sorry that I never made enough money to leave you any wealth. And the son looked at the father and said, Dad, you left me an upstanding and untarnished name and it means everything to me. Proverbs 22 verse 1 says a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches and favor is better than silver or gold. This is more once again about loving our neighbor as ourselves. Let that be the plumb line in our dealing with our neighbor and with God. 
These commandments really become easier to deal with when we have a plumb line of God in people. Jesus looked at the Pharisees on numerous occasions and said, you are of your father, the devil. Why? Because they totally walked around every day gossiping and slandering Jesus. In fact, from a legal point of view, it was actually the witness of, of false testimony that actually got Jesus onto the cross legally in that system of that day. If you want to get on God's hit list or the bulletin board of heaven, pay attention to Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. And I don't mean it in a good way. There are six things the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, which is pride, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that haste and run to evil. And look what it says. A false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among the brothers. We don't want to be wanted in heaven, right? <laughs> Not in that capacity. And number three, the last point. We should strive for godly contentment. Here's the 10th commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, this could be understood from the state of discontentment. Remember this. If lust of the heart is adultery and hate in the heart is the same as murder, then the spirit of theft is covetousness. This comes from Pondering and fishing in the pond, I'm sorry, fishing in the pond of ungratefulness and discontentment. Discontentment drives us to covet. Let's look at the bait. Keeping up with the Joneses in your inner being. You walk out of your house and you're looking at your neighbor and you say, man, look at their house. Their house is way nicer than mine. That's the beginning of covenant, cover, coveting. How did they get a car like that? Listen, there's a right implanted desire to do better. It's the drive that was put in us that pushes us to be successful. That's the design of chemicals in our brains, such as endorphins and things of that nature. That's the reason that is there. But jealousy and covetousness is the disease of it. Think about this. When desire becomes unhealthy discontentment, it comes to jealousy, which breeds covetousness of the heart. Being jealous of what someone, what someone else has. Now you're on your, 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 your area and you're looking at your two houses on the side and the wife or the husband comes out and you say, ha, huh, look at their wife. Look at their husband. Look at his biceps. They look like Brady's. Why doesn't my wife look like that? I wonder if she can make macaroni without making it clumpy. And look what it says. And are their kids? Their kids are so polite. Look, they're taking the garbage out. Mine are brats. That is the coveting mentality. Or his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, anything that's your neighbor's. Look, their lawn guy. He just shows up. He cuts their grass. Mine blows the grass right in front of the, the, the street and it stays orange and it looks horrible. He blows off and weed eats better than mine. It seems like they have a new car every year, and I'm still driving a 2005 Chevy. God must love them more than me. Now we meddling. 
He provides for them better than us. It always just works out for them. It fosters an ungrateful spirit. Coveting is not wanting to be better or do better for yourself. It's wanting what your neighbor has and despising what you have. It's wanting someone else's stuff. Here's an Old Testament example of how coveting becomes action and consequence. There's a book of Joshua in the Bible. Brandon? You probably heard the inside joke. We both knew that, actually. Joshua 7, 19 through 21. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, I implore you, give to the glo- give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give praise to him, and tell me what you have done. Don't hide it from me. So Achan answered Joshua and said, All right. He didn't say, All right. I said that. Truly, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. And this is what I did. Look what it says. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar, 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight, then I coveted and took them. I saw, I coveted, I took them. And behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath it. Let's look what happened to Achan. The book of Joshua, chapter 7, verse 24 through 26. Then Joshua and all of Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the mantle, the bar of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that belonged to him. And they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. And all Israel stoned them with stones and they burned them with fire after they stoned them with with stone. I thought about that. I was like, they stoned him with stones. They burned him with fire after they stoned. Like the Holy Spirit was like, they stoned him. (laughs) Maybe that's just how I read it. They raised over him a great heap of stones that stands to this day. And the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. The moral of the story is when seeing becomes a desire to take, it can lead to action and destroy everything. Achan could have chosen to be content with where he was and what he had. Life application, we can be so driven by what others have that we can pursue an unhealthy work ethic, lose our family in the process by just trying to keep up with the Joneses. Somebody wisely said, we spend all of our health trying to accumulate wealth, and then at the end of our life, we spend all of our wealth trying to gain back our health. Let's look at a easily identifiable modern-day example. Kids do this instinctively. Christmas morning, they open, open up all their presents. They get the little He-Man, right? Thundercats. Back in our day, I don't know what they play with today, but I still would play with that, actually. The kids grow up. They're on Christmas morning. They begin to play. Here comes Cousin Johnny. He comes in with his WrestleMania action figures. And all of a sudden, you start to think, well, I'd rather wrestling than He-Man and Thundercats. And then the WrestleMania of the heart starts. (laughs) And all of a sudden, little Johnny drops his toys. They're old news. And he wants and takes the toy from the cousin and plots how to begin to make it his own by maybe sticking it under his bed. Hey, man, you left that here. That little. And then it grows up. Right? 
and it becomes unbridled and it leads to bigger problems and it eventually grows. Getting back to discontentment, it produces a narrative that God is not good to us. And we believe it or not, it pulls us to the first tablet of what we talked about in the first four commandments. It affects our interaction with God. We end up subtly putting our discontentment over God because it consumes us and drives us if gone unchecked. We knock him off the throne of our heart and replace it with things, jealousy, desires, etc. Right? We still come to church, if anything, but we just are slightly indifferent now. Our discontentment breeds eye-rolling during testimony time of God's goodness in someone's life. You don't have to say amen. <laughs> we become others-focused, and it's not in a good way. It becomes harder to love God with all your heart and your soul and your neighbor because now discontentment and jealousy has begun to root, and Satan walks into the room and begins to take his prosecuting place in your heart and exhibit A, exhibit B. He puts God on trial. He puts your neighbor on trial. And it's a vicious cycle. Then what happens is you start to say, well, God answered their prayers. He's not answering mine. Right? And it doesn't, it doesn't even matter just in the world. Churches even deal with it. Wanting to be like the church down the street. And they begin to forsake the gospel. Or they want to be more like the world. And they begin to get away from talking about God and things of that nature. Business owners can deal with it and it causes an unhealthy drive and they begin to destroy their employees. Workers may already have it good at their, at their job and they begin to look at other businesses and say, I want what they have. Meanwhile, you think the grass is greener over there, but we don't know what it's fertilized with. Amen. <laughs> then we start to see the glitter and realize, don't realize that we have gold where we are. Right? It can destroy families because people get discontent. They don't start off unsat unsatisfied. They begin to look at other people and other things and what they have. Their They think their neighbor has arrived. I said all this to say that we can have a drive, but we need to make sure where the drive is coming from, not because of coveting. Be careful what's driving your drive. Look at what it says in Colossians 3, 5 through 11. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Look, I want you to see this part. Sexual immorality, we talked about that last week. Impurity, passion, evil desire. And look, covetousness, which is idolatry. You ever wondered why it's idolatry? Paul looks at covetousness as idolatry because it ends up breaking the second commandment because of what I said earlier. We begin to take God off the throne and begin to put whatever it is that's derailing us in the place of God instead of holding on and sticking with our minds to the plan and purpose that God has for our lives. Amen. Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Look what it says. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Look at verse 14. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body, and be thankful. And look what it says at the end of verse 17. Giving thanks to God, the Father through him, through, through, 
God the Father through him, meaning Christ. Being loving toward our neighbor and thankful to God sums up these two tablets. The Tenth Commandment of not coveting sums up the nine on top of it. It would seem that you could re- this, this battle really can affect us all the way across the board. If you think about it, this society is built on discontentment. Trust me, I'm the first one who thinks I need a nonstick skillet that I can cook rocks in without scratching it. Or I need the vacuum that can suck up a line of gravel. I need that. (laughs) Right? They have a way of telling you, hey, you need this. I don't see how you get through life without this non-cook, non-stick cookware. But here is what, what happens. Everything needs to be newer, right? Where we need the new this, we need the new that, and it breeds discontentment. Trust me. So how we can tell if we can be subject to coveting? I want to give you a couple of things that you can just take spiritual inventory to yourself. Would you identify yourself as cutthroat or win at all costs? In other words, will you do whatever it takes? Will you cross over anybody's dead body to get what you want, even if you caused it? Would you identify yourself as a greedy individual? Number two, is your life about accumulating things and possessions? Listen, recreation and things like that are great and relaxing, but you can get to a point where it pushes you from God. The more you accumulate, the more you have to take care of, right? Number three, do you complain about what you have now? Are you always looking for the next? Would you describe yourself as grateful for what you have? Here's how I see it. We live in the past, right? Or we live in the future. And we don't stay in the present. So what we have goes unseen and we don't get to see what contentment looks like or what we're grateful for. Number four, when will you finally be satisfied with what you have? Listen, we all have more than one neighbor and less than the other. No matter where you're, it just depends on where you're looking. always, you're always going to have more than somebody and less than someone else. What's consuming you? What's consuming your thoughts? How do you know what's consuming you? Where do you drift true north when you're thinking? That's what's consuming. Is it things? Is it God? Look at 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 7. There's great gain in godliness with contentment. We brought nothing into this world and we can take, we can't take anything from it. No matter what you accumulate, your kids are going to fight over it when you're in the ground. Godliness grows with contentment because it's attached to God who is growing us. Can I challenge us tonight? Life is about perspective. Really, if you think about it, gaining perspective is the process. It's okay to feel how you feel and see what you see, but we must journey on in the godly perspective of whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. I do this all the time when I pass in front of a little league field. My mind goes to, I can't throw the ball with a kid, but then my mind goes to, my kid is running around waiting on me to throw a ball, maybe, (laughs) when we get to heaven. It's the perspective. 
Yes, you're going to see this. Yes, you're going to deal with that. But our mind has to switch to the truth, which is what God says and what God is and what God has promised us. Amen. In every area of your life, I'm dealing with sickness, but I will be healed either here or there. My dad preached that to his dying day. Look at what it says in Philippians 4, 11 through 12. For I have learned how to be content in whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of life and living in every situation, whether it's a full stomach or empty with plenty or little. He says, I learned how. He didn't say it came natural. He didn't say it was a great process. In other words, he had to process, right? Here's an example of processing. We always use the end part of this verse in Next Steps Class 3, but I want to read it to you in 2 Corinthians 6, 8 through 10. We serve God whether people honor us or despise us, whether they slander us or praise us. We are honest, but they call us imposters. We ignore, we are ignored, even though we are well known. We live close to death, but we're still alive. You see? You see his perspective change? We've been beaten, but we've not been killed. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we make, we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, yet we have everything. He's not denying the situation. He's choosing to change his perspective to the godly truth that he believes in the inner being. It's hard to crawl across the ground and feel like, you know, you're beaten, you're left for dead. And yet you feel like, but I love God. I'm joyful. One day, none of these scratches will even show and I will walk on streets of gold. Amen. Now, wrapping up these three commandments, our integrity and character is something that can be worked on every day. When we know our God and our identity is who he says we are, it does not matter what people say about us. Our hope and, and joy is not in our possessions. It's not in our accomplishments. It's not in our titles. But it's also not in our lack or our failures. Our confidence grows in God and his plan and purpose for our life. We can trust in the fact that he's helping us and everything is happening and it's part of the plan. It might not be part of your neighbor's plan, but it's part of our plan. Our part is to trust God, right? Trust the process and trust the plan and purpose because God is doing a masterpiece in our life. You know, you walk by a painting, you're like, man, what is this? But if you let the painter paint, it becomes beautiful and invaluable, right? Why? Because a lot of times it's the the reputation of the painter. You buy a Van Gogh, a Van Gogh is hideous. But that guy is, you know, famous. I hope I didn't offend nobody with that. <laughs> but just to say, I just want you to be encouraged. God is painting your masterpiece, and it's valuable because it's God that's doing it. Our, 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 what we need to be doing is processing these situations with a godly perspective. It does not matter what it is, what comes down the pike. Our job is to say, God, I see what it is, but I, I'm seeing what you're going to do 
and what the outcome is going to be. And I know that you're too loving to be unkind and you're too wise to make a mistake. So I'm going to put all of my faith and all of my trust in what you want to do. And I'm telling you, I'm preaching this to myself. <laughs> right? Nobody's life has to look like ours. We stay focused on what God is doing in our place, in our world, and will cause us to settle down in life and be content. Amen? Let's close up with prayer. Father, we just come in the name of your son, Jesus. And Father, we acknowledge you as the painter, the Lord of our life, the master. And Father, we come before you. And Lord, we might need some area to repent, Lord. And Father, we, we come right now, we go through these verses, Lord. We repent, Lord. If there's any stealing in our, in our daily dealings on the job or some people just might be kleptomaniacs or something. But Lord, I'm just asking that you would begin to deliver your people. That you would begin to deliver those who deal with either physical theft, emotional theft, uh, not having integrity in this area. Lord, I'm asking that you would begin to convict us. That you begin to work and work Christ into us. Work the, the conviction that we need in our lives, God, to move past this situation. Lord, for, for lying. Lord, if there's, some people might have a lying spirit. We break it right now in Jesus' name by the power of the word of God. Father, we ask right now that you would convict us of white lies. Any area, Lord, that, that is detrimental, Lord, that is, it is slander, is, is gossip, all of those areas. God, I ask that you would hold our tongues, God, that you would give us the peace. It, that surpasses all understanding, that would guard our heart and mind, Lord, that it would not want us to foster any type of slander or gossip or storytelling, any area, Lord. If there's any that are dealing with that, Father, we bring that before you right now. And we ask that you would forgive and cleanse and help to be truthful, God, in all of our dealings, in all of our ways. And, Father, we come right now, and, Lord, we repent of not being content in our lives, God. That, Lord, we are thankful. I know that the song says, count our many blessings, name them one by one. Lord, we are sorry for not counting our blessings. Lord, we are sorry for not paying attention to the present, but living either in the past or the future. Father, we thank you for how good you have been to us. God, that you are guiding every step of our life. And Father, we, we acknowledge you as the giver of everything that is good. And Father, we thank you for the, the blessing, Lords, the blessings that you have already given us. Father, for the blessings that we take for granted, Lord. Father, we're asking that you would show us a spirit of gratefulness that we can have in our own lives, God, and we can operate in that. And Father, I ask that if there's any that here that does not even know you as Lord, Father, that they would repent of their sins, that they would ask you to forgive them and cleanse them from all unrighteousness, Lord, I'm asking that you would regenerate their hearts, Lord, as they step out in faith to receive you, Father, for what you've accomplished through Jesus Christ at the cross, and that you died and raised him from the dead. And Father, your word says that we confess you before men, if we confess you as Lord, that you will confess us before your Father, but before our Father in heaven. Father, we confess that you are Lord. If we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, we shall be saved. And Father, I know that there are those that are doing that, even as we speak. 
Father, I thank you for welcoming men into your kingdom. And Father, as we go tonight, Lord, I'm asking that you would bless each person here. Father, we thank you for this time with the Ten Commandments. Father, I pray that it has enriched your people. And Father, they are walking in the, in the fear and admir- admonition of the Lord. And Father, as we apply these words, and Lord, we know that it has shined the glorious picture of Christ, what he accomplished for us at Calvary. Father, I pray that it helps us to love you more based on who you are and what you've accomplished. In Jesus' name, I pray and ask. And the church said, amen and amen. Well, praise God. It was good to be with you tonight. Praise God. We'd love to pray with you. If you have any prayer requests whatsoever, get up here. Amen. Bye-bye.